from the creators of Naked and Afraid. It's Naked and Afraid Celebrity Edition. A show where two celebrities have to survive naked in the wild for 21 days. I think I agreed to do the show because I like to test my limits. Challenge myself. <laughs> After 12 days of only eating leaves, tensions rise. The woman's completely insane. Terry has seen me! All she does is talk about keeping it real. <laughs> oh, gosh. That was hilarious. Bless all those with good spirits. Season six draws near. Peter Dinklage, Saturday Night Live. The sport of all sports. And I don't mean running around naked. <laughs> well, I'm sure Game of Thrones prepared him at least in some part for that role that we just saw him play. The green fork. Oh, maybe. A little combat training. <laughs> we love to see this, right? Pop culture embracing the show that we all like to watch and the podcast that you all listen to. Thank you for joining us on Game of Bones. Game of Bones. Welcome. And coincidentally, we have a Tyrion chapter today. Ooh. How perfect is that? I called up uh, <laughs> SNL and I said, look, we're doing a Tyrion chapter this week. We need Peter Jinklage to be on SNL. Lauren. We can really use some backup. <laughs> <laughs> For everybody who missed it, though, definitely recommend going back and watching because I was laughing. I'm I'm due to uh, to get a um, subscription on Hulu now. I can get like a free trial still. So I've been wanting to see eleven twenty two sixty three, and now I'm also going to use it to uh, catch SNL. So super happy about that. There's a white parrot on his head, and the promotional image on Watchers on the Wall it makes me think <laughs> of winter. I'm surprised he didn't bring uh, any wine with him. As his uh, item of survival choice. <laughs> I wonder that if... That would have been uh, hilarious. That would have been pretty funny. We only have 20 days left before uh, the new season drops. And I think this is like that sort of the, the hazy moment, you know, the, the hour of the wolf just before uh, light begins to creep into the world. All things are quiet. Until there's a new trailer. Right. And then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> Another trailer, we're going to get the Night's King just literally stabbing people i feel like that's the, the progression of things how do we, he's already walking toward a burning flame he's just gonna pull up a chair and sit down and start talking with us and be like listen guys <laughs> this is what's gonna happen let me clear up a lot of questions that you might have <laughs> uh, it's possible i mean depending on his schedule he could come on the show before the night's king is a guest on our podcast we continue into our journey of a feast with dragons that wasn't a very good role I, I thought it was good. I tried. And dragons play a part in both of these chapters. They do, don't they? Both of these chapters are in A Dance of Dragons. And and getting to actually just the order, how there are two Tyrion chapters that were, we read, basically read that one first today, um, even though it occurs after, it makes me think that there's going to be some exciting things on the road that really lead into the marine stuff, so... I'm looking forward to that uh, with Tyrion and maybe Illyrio. What I found interesting about this, though, is Illyrio really takes the place of Varys in the in the television series. But we also learn a great deal about Varys in this chapter. Right. And get a lot of context to his past, to Illyrio's past. No, this is the chapter I feel like I wish we would have had last year when our minds were sort of expanding to the idea of the scale of what these people that are doing things that Varys is associated with and obviously Illyrio is associated with both in the book and the television show because we arrived at his mats in the television show. But now, obviously, like our last chapter with Tyrion, he was on the grounds. This is the the movement. And like you were saying, Micah, this chapter, 
I feel like was just a huge release of information. And when my first read through over the holiday, I was pretty excited about it. But now that we've had time to move it into the formation of the show and sort of take vigorous notes and look at the context of how all of these things flow together, it really gives you just a beautiful image of these two guys when they were young, how Illyrio turned into the person that he is, and how Varys took an opportunity to move to move into Westeros at the right time. It's it's really uh, useful at setting up, I, I think, the, the wider world because you get this picture that, uh, you know, a Varys and Illyrio, both from different places, but both from the East, you know, one of them made their way over to the West, but then Illyrio, who we sort of, he's only been in the background before now, before Tyrion's been at his mansion. He's only really been in, in book one um, with Daenerys. And you just think, picture him as this faraway guy is actually this major player who has simply stayed back. He's stayed in, in Essos where Danny is and is equally as important. I think what it, what this chapter did for me was really showcase exactly how um, even-footed he and, and Varys both are. They're sort of two halves of this force for, for change for Danny. Mm-hmm. And they have been. They have mm-hmm. been for some time, as, yeah, exactly. as Zach was touching on. And it's almost like with these larger-than-life characters, it's very interesting to read when when the curtain gets pulled back on them a little bit and you know we knew that Varys was from Mir and and you know he's referred to as a prince of thieves until a rival thief informed on him uh and then there's just this paragraph that goes into the, the sort of the backstory between Varys uh and Illyrio and really how Illyrio is is uncertain as to why uh, Varys chose him to protect him. And, and so right there, you have this sort of brother-like relationship that developed between the two of them. And we talk so much about the, the puppet masters, the, the major chess players that are in this series. And really these two, and you can throw Baelish into that mix as well, have been influencing a lot of what's been going on on, on both sides of the narrow sea for, for quite some time. Mm-hmm. In Mir, he was a prince of thieves until a rival thief informed on him. In Pentos, his accent marked him, and once he was known for a eunuch, he was despised and beaten. Why he chose me to protect him, I may never know, but we came to an arrangement. Varys spied on lesser thieves and took their takings. I offered my help to their victims, promising to recover their valuables for a fee. Soon, every man who had suffered a loss knew to come to me, while cities, footpads, and cut purses sought out Varys, half to slit his throat, the other half to sell him what they'd stolen. We both grew rich and richer still when Varys trained his mice. It's brilliant. I love how it's it used to be mice, and now it's birds. Mm-hmm. I wonder what prompted. I wonder what specifically changed um, to, to change that. But this is brilliant. These two guys are running this scam, or running this con, running this game, on entire cities of people here um and it's sort of just because they can they are cleverer uh than the the common person but also Mm -hmm. just like baelish as micah said they they came from nothing uh and now they they influence the world as we know it today and they both learned a really important lesson which he goes on to talk about in the next paragraph about how secrets are more worth more than than money or gold and Mm -hmm. how these whisperings are, are really what brought them to where they both are today. Mm-hmm. And it's rare that the marriage of expertise, cleverness, gold, 
and secrets come together as strong as they do in someone like Illyrio Mopatis. And that's one of the reasons why he's such an enigmatic character in the series and why he's able to make so much of an impact on large-scale situations because both he and Varys came out of, and, and Baelish as well, both they came out of a place where they they were so ambitious that they felt like they needed to do this, that they needed to become this refined in the art of their moving forward and rising in life. It's different when Cersei was a child and she was in the depths of Casterly Rock and her big thrill was touching a lion. Or the same could be said for other great houses of Westeros. Like if we if we go to these these free cities and we take in the context of the story that we were learning from a song of ice and fire reading these pages, you just imagine those people like an already cut Varys as a young person finding his way and building his life enough to eventually get the ear of the Mad King. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, the the paragraph that you read is it's it's really it's the foundation it it's almost a microcosm in a way of what they come to do on a much larger scale. They're this is the foundation. They're they're learning how they're going to manipulate, how they're going to steal, how they're going to be able to influence everything moving forward. And it, and it kind of all starts in Pentos, and it's it's cool to see how you know just gaining secrets and stealing information has grown basically in, into this large scale Industry. system that they now operate. <laughs> right. It's, it's just so interesting too, that Tyrion should be the one that this story is being told to that Tyrion should kind of, that the curtain gets pulled back, but it's, it's for him. There are certain moments where Illyrio is still not a hundred percent honest with him. I think, either Tyrion picks out each time or we as readers can know that there are still just a couple of things that are slightly different than what actually happened. Um, but you know, to the most point, uh, to the most part, for the most part, uh, Tyrion is getting this story for the first time. And, you know, it, it must just be very interesting because there are certain similarities, right? Tyrion knew that, that, uh, the battlefield was not his, his own forte. Uh, and, and at one point planned to be a monk, we learn. But, um, you know, has sort of, these are all men, include, Tyrion included, who had sort of a different life path ahead of them. Uh, so I think there, there is a connection there. Um, in addition to the fact that both Tyrion and Illyrio are familiar now with wealth and are basically traveling the countryside in this, uh, cart with all of the food and delicacies that they could possibly want. Although Tyrion doesn't want nearly any of it. Uh, in comparison. He also picks up on, to play off that point, a question that I think we as readers are supposed to pick up on, which is, what is Illyrio's motivation behind everything that he's done for Danny and everything that he's done to get to this point? Um, he talks about being promised, you know, to be Master of Coin and Lord of any Castle, and yeah. and that doesn't satisfy Tyrion, and that doesn't satisfy any of us, I, I would assume. I felt pretty satisfied, honestly. Really? Yeah, I felt like it was a, a grand question in a lot of our minds. But if you think about, uh, Lyria was already, to me, he's already done pretty well for himself. And I think about the scale of the kingdom that we'll eventually learn about through Daenerys' chapters in A Dance with Dragons. It's also pretty damn awesome. I know it's not Westeros. I know it's not the, the sort of pop culture goal of the current story that we're reading. But it's still a city with lots of pyramids. <laughs> and, you know, it, it matters. 
And the same could be said for what he's doing, where he's doing it. But there's just something that in the, 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 the characters in the story that we're reading so far, they're just, they're, they're really interested in Westeros. And I got to think that him being master of coin and sort of a free, I don't want to say a free nation, but it's, it's a lot different than how the free cities are. You know what I mean? In Essos, it's so different. And, and through these two fourth and fifth books, we'll, we'll really learn about how that uh, comes to play when uh, our characters either cross one way, cross the other, or in general, just through their different narratives. You know what I mean? Like we pick up on all those, like, wow, this is really seriously culturally a different place. So you got to think that in my mind, when, when Illyria was saying this, I felt like it was getting, I was getting a bit of a reveal. I was just like, Oh, okay. I get it. He knows that the Targaryen advantage is something that he can have, like, if he wanted to, do you really think that he could get Casterly Rock over the Lannisters? I know that that's a big deal, but could he, do you think? Maybe. Well, now he Probably. could. Yeah. And that's something. I, I think it's a possibility. That's because if they've heard of Casterly Rock all the way over in the Free Cities, that's just one of the places in Westeros. Mm-hmm. I just mean, it's not, it's not nothing to be shrugged at. He does say that if even you know that he's not in this for gain though necessarily which makes me wonder what his real motivation is well what does he right? there's what more could he want he he says something along the lines of like i'm going to ride with you as, as as far as i can because i don't travel well and why would i want to be somewhere where you know like i he and Tyrion what is he Tyrion sorry i'm my brain's all over the place but Tyrion's like yeah you want to be there with all of its high walls but he's just surrounded by comfort and people that walk and hand him crusted, fried, and delicious treats. This is all this guy wants. You know, he's already hanging out with Tyrion Lannister, who just <laughs> murdered the Warden of the West and the Hand of the King in Westeros. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, he's already doing mm-hmm. everything that, like, he's already one of the cool dudes on the, you know what I mean? He's doing it already right now. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And like Master of Coin could be like a, a goal for himself in the future. But that is, I mean, think about the people that have to die, the cities that have to burn. And he's going to be behind the walls of his mansion. Uh, he's going to be protected. He's going to continue to enjoy all the delicacies he already does. Um, while men like Tyrion, I mean, he's, he's essentially sending Tyrion into, to battle or he's sending, uh, him to assist Daenerys in the conquering of what we know as, you know, the Western world here. Uh, this is something that, you know, he gets to control and be part of somehow, but ultimately he's not getting his hands dirty. Um, taking Literally. this little ri- Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's a pretty comfortable position to be in. It's amazing that, you know, being of no high birth or, or, anything like that he's also not obligated to shed any blood of his own um he's just kind of i think we we would be quicker to uh judge Varys or baelish as cruel um just because we've seen him do more than we have illyrio but right. but illyrio is not really he he is keeping a, a safe distance and not particularly um sacrificing anything that means anything to him well, to our knowledge, yeah, to our knowledge. he's yeah. still a relatively new character that we haven't spent all that much time with. He's been mentioned in passing. We've seen him early on uh, with Viserys and, and Danny. But these conversations do leave me wanting more. Yeah, uh, and, and maybe mm-hmm. that's just like as a reader, the surface level is never just as it appears to be, especially in this series. And you have two very crafty individuals who are talking to each other. And it does remind me a bit of the conversations that Tyrion and Varys had 
in, in previous books. And knowing what we do know about Varys and knowing Tyrion's relationship and, and the level of trust or the lack of level of trust that he has in Varys, it seems to, you know, pivot between those two extremes. Either he feels that Varys is, is a true friend or he feels he's a true enemy. He, he, he has to feel like he's being used a little bit in this yeah. instance. He's a pawn in a, in a much larger game that's being played. And, and I think that he can't fully trust Illyrio. He doesn't. He says that several times in this chapter. Right. But I don't know what is Illyrio's true intent. It can't just be to softly pave the way for Daenerys to right. take over Westeros. What is he gaining from that? It can't just be that simple. He's a Targaryen supporter or, or is, is there a larger agenda here? And there, there are mentions of different things throughout this chapter uh, that we'll come to read later on, even people that are mentioned that have much larger roles to play. So again, why is he working towards that cause? What is it that he gains at the end of the day from Danny heading back to Westeros? And we know that Illyria was the kind of guy to keep his wife's hands in a drawer. So that's all I'm saying. <laughs> that was really weird. I that's just, so weird. <laughs> I had to do a double take when I read that. Yeah, it's like, wait, you still have her hands? They used to be nice and soft and supple and smooth. That's oh, so gosh. weird. Yeah. Well, he's had his own problems rising the ranks. Yeah. I suppose that's true. I think that there's a lot of questions surrounding. You know, I, I know that we've, we're further into the read through and we've got a lot more questions answered than uh, we previously had. But I don't know. I don't know what to say. I just, I, I know that there's a lot here that we could like extrapolate on. Like, is this not enough information? But at the same time, I just feel like, well, it, you know, it might be this. It might just be this. It mm -hmm. might be that he really likes influence, and all he has to do is house Tyrion and ride with Tyrion in, in a litter, suspended between eight mammoth draft horses, just riding mm -hmm. along the Valyrian high road, sending him off to a couple of other contacts as they go on their way. I feel like that's not too much work for all of the influence he could perceivably have. Yeah. And and Tyrion even says it. There's something in this venture worth more to you than coin or castles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think it comes down to wealth necessarily. Maybe these men really, really love playing the game. Right. And we're seeing Tyrion in sort of his early stages of gamesmanship. He plays a lot of Sivas later on in A Dance with Dragons, and I just think that that's a big sort of like allegory to maybe the path that he be that he's rising in. I'm, I'm not sure because we don't have uh, books six and seven, but it certainly to me feels like they found a kindred spirit with, Tyr with Tyrion Lannister. Uh, Illyrio is is quick to say Varys was right about how sharp, quick, mm -hmm. and clever you are. So this all makes a lot of sense to me. Illyrio seems very fond of the situation he's found himself in. Of course, it would yeah. be not advantageous to act displeased with the current situation that he's found himself in, but he <laughs> has all the power, and this feels very good, like you said, Micah. This feels like our old conversations with Varys, and what we have to understand is that these guys are traveling along the Valerian High Road with a, with a company uh, to protect people of this amount of wealth, and we learn in this chapter, he has a very specific duty to fulfill, which is to meet up with some of Valerio's new friends slash old friends and to help push the Targaryen agenda even further with sellswords. And, you know, it's no wonder that uh, Illyrio is in such good spirits. Not only is he 
face to face with Tyrion here, which I think would put anybody in good spirits. Um, cause Tyrion is awesome. And this chapter is another reminder of that, but his gamble on, uh, Daenerys to begin with has paid off. There's a lot of, you know, they're sort of talking about Danny as a child because Illyrio, I guess, initially passes her off as this sweet young queen, um, to which Tyrion totally calls out. But then Illyrio adds, uh, this is a quote, when I sent ships to bring her home, she turned toward Slaver's Bay. In a short span of days, she conquered Astapor, made Yunkai bend the knee, and sacked Marine. Manteres will be next if she marches west along the old Valyrian roads. Like, she, she just ruined Slaver's Bay. Like, she is a force of nature beyond, I think, what Illyrio could have hoped for. Uh, like, talk about backing the right horse. I, I think that's why Illyrio is partially so happy right now but Tyrion he mm -hmm. even brings up the fact though that that hurts Illyrio's business and yet Illyrio is still supportive of her yeah Yeah. it it helps sort of uncover or or raise more it kind of picks away at the illusion that he's just doing it for because it's the right thing to do I don't know and therein lies the questions (laughs) he also doesn't seem to be super aware of what Danny is doing though you know, I don't know. That was just the impression that I got. Is that Which he made me think that he was either lying right. or lying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or yeah. either he's lying about what he knows or he's lying about what he doesn't know. You know, like he may maybe not be in as in either mm-hmm. he doesn't want to give away what he does know or he's not is as in tune with, you know, what's actually going on than he'd want right. to admit. Well, the Viserys, uh, the tale of Viserys' death was slightly off from what we know. And do we think that was an intentional lie? Uh, do we think it was protecting the fact that Danny was pregnant, but that never went anywhere? So it's like, you know, what do, what exactly do we think is the reason for basically Illyrio not, uh, or swaying things a little bit diff- different from what they were? Part of me wants to think that he's putting Tyrion in the right state of mind before he sends him off. But the other part of me says Tyrion is a... A prisoner of the state basically and uh he's kind of gonna have to do whatever he can so to have this sort of wealth and projection in his current path is great no matter the stakes so i feel like if Illyrio does know about what's happening in marine for example and he's not telling Tyrion, it's a bit questionable with sons of the harpy and just the general unrest and the the state of chaos in the city but i, I don't think that something like that would sway Tyrion necessarily so I to lose. Yeah. I, so I didn't, it didn't, it didn't catch too much for me. I just felt like, uh, he gave him a lot of, a lot of solid information about what they will do. And, uh, like you said, touched on Danny's history and really set them up. And I thought it was just good that he, that he basically made it clear that it wasn't some prophesized symbolic thing for him that originally the deal was for Viserys and that it just turns out that the blood of the dragon really flowed in Daenerys's veins. He right. even says he didn't think that Danny would su- survive with the Dothraki, which I thought was a point to that point is that Danny proved herself more than he tried to right. make this come true. Right. Mm-hmm. She's in control of this. As much as they would have been the men to make the the kingdoms move and flow in the directions of their will. Yes, they did help, but she is very much in control of what's happening. And I think that's one of the best parts of that. We really come to realize that in this book and uh, both of these chapters, which is great that they're paired together and and in in the order so that they are paired together because both of these chapters really plant the seeds for this Marine 
just all, all the drama that's about to unfold here in Essos. The, the seeds are planted so well. And Tyrion's just in this really lavish, just the picture of excess. Read this chapter, guys. It is beautiful descriptions upon beautiful descriptions of food. Uh, just grease dripping from lips it's 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 literally too <laughs> Jellied much eels yeah. well and not and, even not only that he's looking at what is he, he's glancing at fields where once the gods had walked the whole thing is very lavish and endless oh yeah see that that is so cool right and see but that's that's all it's all happening sort of at the same time while we're learning about uh what is to come in our story and this happens to us a lot but it, it was very Packed. I remember getting about three quarters of the way through this chapter and sort of grinning to myself, thinking like, "This isn't a this isn't an action packed chapter." But I bet we could talk about this for the length of an episode because every other paragraph or so is just like, "Well, we could jump into that pretty deeply." We're talking about Andalos and where the gods walked while Daenerys or while Tyrion's being taught about Daenerys. Yeah, there's a lot of historical context on the road to Volantis, which, by the way, they have some pretty great infrastructure there, right? I mean. It's pretty impressive just hearing about this road that they're traveling on and going through such ruin, yet it's still in pretty mint condition, which (laughs) compared to some of the infrastructure we have here, I mean, there's no potholes, right? Tyrion's not getting jarred up and down or anything Uh, like that. Wow. (laughs) Micah, you've sold me. Yes, the infrastructure is awesome. No, it's great. (laughs) But Zach brings up a good point is that I think part of what George is trying to do here as you read through not just this chapter, but the other chapters where Tyrion is traveling is to paint the picture and provide historical context. So much of the things that we have have heard about in passing, right? Tyrion is now experiencing, he's going through these cities. There's mention of the stone men and there's mention of the Andals. And, and, and it's just, this is where all this originated from. This is where this all started. And Tyrion, the, the, is the pivotal character to me that experiences so many different things in the series. I mean, you go back to all the previous books, he's been in all these places and his journey is continuing. And I think you're learning about this entire world really, uh, you know, putting aside all other characters. I think he's the one that you really get the full experience from. This is sort of an aside, but there was an article that came out. About the protagonist. Yeah, that's just the first thing that popped into my mind. I don't know if you guys have seen it. That article that's been floating around about who the real protagonist of A Song of Ice and Fire is. What do you think? And it's only done through Up a Storm of Swords, but it puts Tyrion at the top. Just, I think, to your point, Micah, because we see so much of the world through his eyes because he's been in so many places. I mean, I, I buy that. I buy that a lot, actually. And by the time this book is finished, not will he have been to even more places, but he'll have gone through so much uh, different of an existence uh, in relation to these first few chapters. Mm-hmm. And I have to say this this place being where it is to, is not without its mysteries. Like I think Illyrio just mentions in passing to the criminals. Did he call them robbers or beggars? I'm trying to find the uh, the, the ones who may still be alive at the bottom of the lake. Well, you keep looking. We learn a lot about the history of of the world that we're in. We also learn a bit about Tyrion's history and him dreaming of dragons as a kid. And this kind of almost sad moment that continues to help us realize what it's like to grow up as Tyrion. He talks about early in the chapter being motherless and his early days at Cashley Rock. And then he talks about asking for a dragon because he wanted one that was little like he is and how everyone kind of laughs at him. (laughs) Made me feel kind of bad for him. Like he just has these dreams of dragons and now they're becoming a reality, which or in hopes of becoming a reality. 
as he travels that way. He's headed in the right direction yeah, for dragons. He's, he's on the right track. <laughs> so. He keeps having these dreams, though. He keeps having these dreams, I think, which are really... Illyrio says to him, oh, they. I hope they're not prophetic because he gets like... He's in danger in the, in nearly all of them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of for the first time really struck me as being uh, supernaturally charged dreams, not because they have elements of the supernatural in them, but it's just kind of weird how the dreams align with his journey at this specific point, how essentially he's been told he's going to be meeting up with the queen of the mother of dragons. And that's what he's dreaming about in like seemingly vivid detail. I don't know. It just reminded me of the dreams that the Stark children would have um, back in book one. Is it prophetic though? That That's a huge question, right? That we should take out of this chapter, especially with the next one that we're going to be reading sure. in Daenerys is Tyrion's dreams. Do they mean anything? You know, is Illyrio trying to bring together the three heads of the dragon? <laughs> yeah. See, I've been thinking about that too. If, if, so if we were to say like one of the three heads of the dragon, I mean, are we of the mind of sort of like John, Tyrion, Daenerys, or Bran, Tyrion, Daenerys, or I don't know. Where does Bran yep. fit into this? It's a tough question to answer. It's it's one that's been out there pretty much since the series started, and I don't know that I've read anything that I can definitively say I agree with. So mm-hmm. I love all the speculation and all the theorizing that, that kind of comes along with this. There's a lot of arguments for different directions and so many of them feel right a lot of good arguments yeah Mm -hmm. totally eric i found what you were talking about earlier i don't know if you want me to read it yeah i got it too he's uh Tyrion's commenting on the velvet hills and how they're disappointing how they're supposed to be teats or they should (laughs) be he says yeah he says half the whores in landisport have breasts bigger than these hills you ought to call them the velvet teats but uh illyria says here lived a den of robbers so just the the magic and the mystery surrounding the history of this place. Um, they're on the road, and Illyria mentions, Here lived a den of robbers who preyed on all that passed this way. It is said they still dwell beneath the water. Those who fish the lake are pulled under and devoured. And this is just a passing mention to <laughs> local local lords. Lore. You know, yeah. They're near a pond, and it's like really deep pond, and he's just like, Yeah, by the way, don't fish there. Um, yeah you might die <laughs> you you might get devoured by something that lives underneath and i'm thinking well where's the uh you know what what supernatural what is the source of of that sort of like I'm totally going to take a leader at his word i'm sure there's these undead creatures beneath that lake i i believe that 100 percent. but now i'm wondering what god to connect it to you know and what what supernatural mini face god of course yeah and why why is that a thing you know, did the robbers uh, please a god who gave them Im- immortality, or why hang out at the bottom of the lake if you don't have to? So, <laughs> kind of just really curious. Maybe you're a stone man and have stone feet, and you can't really. Let's not talk about stay those poor the creatures. Okay? I just use iron boots personally. I want to read <laughs> yeah. you guys about for the water temple. Mm-hmm, that, <laughs> I hate that place. Let's read this. Uh, uh, I'm going to read about the Valyrian High Road because. All of you should know it. Tyrion knew what he would find. Not packed earth, nor bricks, nor cobbles, but a ribbon of fused stone raised half a foot above the ground to allow rainfall and snowmelt to run off its shoulders. Unlike the muddy tracks that pass for roads in the Seven Kingdoms, he's talking shit on the Seven Kingdoms right now, the Valyrian (laughs) roads were wide enough for three wagons. Imagine that. 
You've seen the King's Road. The Valyrian roads were wide enough for three wagons to pass abreast, and neither time nor traffic marred them. They still endured, unchanging, four centuries after Valyria itself had met its doom. He looked for wow. ruts and cracks, but found only a pile of warm dung deposited by one of the horses. Mm. Which reminds him of his father. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> so they uh, cared, obviously, but uh, before the westward expansion took place, you know, this was a, a heavily fortuitous place to live. No, it's it's true. And, and you're getting to experience it, right? In these two chapters, even going back, so the last three chapters that we've read we've been in the East and this world is continuously expanding to us. And there's all these new places that we're learning about. Eric mentioned sort of the local lore of, of the towns and, and villages and places that they're coming uh, and, and going from throughout the course of this chapter. And you know, they they come across, I wanted to mention this because uh, I wondered if it was uh, somewhat of a, you know, um, a head nod to uh to Danny and Drogo, but that Valyrian Sphinx crouched beside the road. Oh yeah. Uh that had the body of a dragon and the face of a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's mentioning that her king was missing and that uh most likely it was dragged off back to Vias Dothrak. Yeah. <laughs> and the just sort of the subtle hints there. Uh maybe it's not referencing Drogo specifically, but I just found it pretty coincidental that they would come across this sphinx that resembles Daenerys in some Mm -hmm. part and that the king that was supposed to be beside her is no longer there. I agree. So who thought this was a real sphinx when they first read it? I did. For a second, right? You were like, (laughs) well, the kind of things that happen on the Valyrian High Road, just a sphinx. (laughs) He lives under the lake, right? (laughs) Yeah, he comes out Mm -hmm. and he's like, I have a riddle for you. It's like, I'm just trying to get to Atlantis. What did you think of the mention of the griffs and, and what did you think micah illyria puts a lot of trust in in at least the the older griff right you would He's call him like a, a brother hey, this is yeah. the first time we've ever spoken out loud about the griffs who have been absent from everything television altogether and and i think jorah kind of took the place uh in the show but you know a, a, a much different road no pun intended traveled for Tyrion in the <laughs> books at least in terms of those he's interacting with uh, but i'm um looking forward to these interactions because illyrio is somebody who we don't know a whole lot about but seems to really put a lot of faith yeah a lot of faith into into griff mm-hmm. Tyrion's like why do you trust this guy so much what's the deal with this guy and he's like he's a sellsword and we have him under contract and Tyrion's like that really doesn't matter with sellswords as you know and he says some contracts are written ink and some in blood I say no more I mean I, Shady. I, I, I like to and believe I no that <laughs> Illyrio is not being uh, careless or reckless at all like you know, we we do see him as he's sort of in this lofty place uh, in his, in his life, uh, but you know, ultimately Tyrion is there for a reason, and I think that he probably wouldn't play dice with Tyrion's life. Like he probably can trust this Griff character to, you know, ferry Tyrion along uh, as is needed. Um, it's just, but he but he, the reason that he won't tell Tyrion what what's truly behind him is. You know, still, I don't know if it's it's harbored in distrust or just that these people with so many pieces 
puzzle pieces, they keep him, you know, close to the vest and only lay fall what, what need to. It's just kind of, he's still withholding things from Tyrion. So they're not on equal footing. There is more coin and cheese than I knew. <laughs> I love that. Tyrion's just like, I should become a, a cheesemonger. Or what I love is when he says to himself, oh, I should have brought cheese to the Blackwater. I may still have all my nose. <laughs> <laughs> but just interesting that Illyrio was able to convince this group who supposedly doesn't like the Targaryens to fight for her cause. Oh, the Golden Company. The Golden Company. They do not. Well, they did not like the Targaryens, but I feel like at some point you have to let go of those things, right? Especially after a very long time of cell sorting without your initiative being as a part of their rebellion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. Like, Do you think that the Golden Company actually harbors a bunch of disregard for the Targaryens or is it just like it's just you know something that you hold on to because you're part of an order like ah you know this is how we were founded yeah it's like a rumor you hold on to yeah because what is it what does it say Danny's gonna give them I mean Danny's gonna bring them be able to bring them home in a way that nobody else is is going to with fire and sword it was a kind of homecoming that Tyrion wished for as well so I feel like they're gonna rally behind anybody who's gonna give them the best beneath the gold of bitter steel mm -hmm. i really like this history that's given i might as well just read the paragraph um of the golden company it says the golden company was reputedly the finest of the free companies founded a century ago by bitter steel a bastard son of aegon the unworthy when another of aegon's great bastards tries to tried to seize the iron throne from his true-born half-brother bitter steel joined the revolt Damon Blackfire had perished on the red grass field, however, and his rebellion with him. Those followers of the Black Dragon, who survived the battle yet refused to bend the knee, fled across the narrow sea. Among them, Damon's younger sons, Bittersteel, and the hundreds of landless lords and knights who soon found themselves forced to sell their swords to eat. Some joined the Ragged Standard, some the Second Sons or Maiden's Men. Bittersteel saw the strength of House Blackfire scattering to the four winds, so he formed the Golden Company to bind the exiles together. And the Golden Company marches toward Volantis as we speak to await the coming of our queen out of the east. There's also a, a quick mention of what Barristan Selmy has done in the past to those members of the Golden Company. So <laughs> who knows uh, how that uh, situation will develop, but... As is noted, rebellion makes for queer bedfellows, and none more queer than this fat man and me. So clearly, <laughs> Tyrion is uh, definitely uh, still feeling out Magister Illyrio. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I would be a little bit remiss if, uh, having just mentioned Barristan Selmy, we didn't touch on the fact that Barristan actually shows up in one of Tyrion's dreams. And... It's pro I know we talked a little bit about dreams earlier, but this one, I don't know. Do go on. Which, what's got you bothered, Micah? Uh, well, I'm just going to read it, and then I'll, uh, I'll let you guys respond. That night, Tyrion Lannister dreamed of a battle that turned the hills of Westeros as red as blood. He was in the midst of it, dealing death with an axe as big as he was, fighting side by side with Barristan the Bold and Bittersteel <laughs> as dragons wheeled across the sky above them. In the dream, he had two heads both noseless, as was mentioned earlier. His father led the enemy, so he slew him once again. Then he killed his brother, Jamie, hacking at his face until it was a red ruin, laughing every time he struck a blow. 
Only when the fight was finished did he realize that his second head was weeping. Oh. What does that all mean? Well, clearly Tywin's coming back to lead uh, a vanguard of the White Walkers. <laughs> Barrison <laughs> won't die in the books, and Bittersteel comes back as well. I hope that he doesn't die in the books. Who, Bittersteel? Barrison. I don't care about Bittersteel as much as I care about <laughs> Dragons wheeling across the sky. The hills of Westeros are red as blood. It's the entire span of season eight, this one fight. Yeah, lucky I believe for you. That. Yeah. I feel like this is one of those one of those parts of the books we're going to come back to and say, oh man, this makes so much sense now once uh, everything has been written. On episode 1000 of our podcast. Mm -hmm. I've never dreamed of having two heads. That must be very interesting. He slew his father once again. So, I mean, I think this has got to be, this This isn't going to happen. This is just telling us how Tyrion feels. Yeah. I, I think it's that question of how brutal am I? Like, I, I killed my father. Yeah, I hate him enough still that I would do it again. But then when he kills his brother, it's just like, well, wait a minute. You know, wh where does it stop? I think that that's that would be my thinking if if I were Tyrion right now is, you know, am I the monster they all said I would? You know, we talked previously about him essentially becoming that monster on the night that he kills uh, Tywin. And he was certainly angry with Jaime uh, that night for the big reveal. But, you know, would he kill Jaime if given the the chance now? It's a question, but I think not even Tyrion fully knows the answer. He's obviously still grappling with just that whole situation as it continues to come up again and again and again yeah woven into his thoughts it is, and it is still weighing on him i mean he he actually in having these discussions with illyrio uh is thinking about how it basically undoes what his father uh would have wanted and and you know when illyrio says he could take casterly rocky laughs and you actually i think at one point just looks to the ground and says are you down there in some hell father uh looking at all of the the disaster i'm i'm Rod, uh, I, I have rod on your plans or something like that. Yeah, it's when he sees the horse shit. <laughs> <laughs> so he's still, he's still I'm looking serious. at- Yeah, 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 I know. I That's know. why it's so perfect. He's, he's still, um, he's still being haunted, I guess, in a way by what he has done. There's that one line where important. he says he's almost sorry that he killed his father. It says, um, he was almost sorry he killed his father. He would have enjoyed seeing Lord Tywin's face when he learned that there was a Targaryen queen on her way to Westeros with three dragons backed by a scheming eunuch and a cheesemonger half the side half the mm -hmm. size of Casterly Rock yeah. I just <laughs> I love the cheesemonger like <laughs> that's your official title that's great though because Tywin would disrespect and disregard men like this he would yeah. appreciate their money but men like Tywin Lannister are, are, are harsh and you know they they see it one particular way and what George is telling us through the roots and crannies of this complicated uh, story is mm -hmm. that the, the, the polish and the grandeur is in the eye of the beholder and the work that they put together when they were kids uh, scheming and scamming and stealing and making lots of money and, and learning through all of that work that money is not the important thing, but influence, experience, and your own drive to be greater is. And George is telling that to us through mm -hmm. the story of an imp traveling east and his friends that are planning a fight in the West. I will say, based on this reading order, I love the fact that we get to spend time with Tyrion and Illyrio talking about Daenerys and then immediately go to her chapter and see what she's been up to for the last book. Because 
you know, if, if we stayed with sort of that traditional reading order, we wouldn't have seen her at all in, in a, in a feast for crows. So this is, this is really the first introduction to Danny and what's been happening in Marine since the end of a uh, storm of swords. I think that it's a great buildup, uh, just to finally get to what Danny is doing when we continue to learn almost a, about her almost for the first time, just because Tyrion is starting to learn all these things for the first time. And so I think that it builds really well to finally get to catch up with her. And our Daenerys chapters in A Storm of Swords weren't the conventional Daenerys chapters that we had grown used to over the first two books. I feel like she was very much a, a large part of the overall movement. But we left her, for example, well before the end of the book and in a place of great setup. The last time we were with her, she had just sacked Marine with the help of her friends in the sewers with the giant rats. Do you guys remember that? Remember she that. found <laughs> out that Jorah was working uh, for someone else and exiled him. She had that great moment, if you guys remember, with Barristan Selmy, where he finally, and she finally listened, told her about, listen, this was the Mad King, and this is what could happen to people that, you know, act a certain way with a certain amount of power. And that was the moment she decided, I'm going to stay in Marine and rule. And again, that was before the very end of A Storm of Swords, and all of the stuff that happened, happened at the very right. end of that book. And then we had a book without her, and then now we start with her again, and I feel like this chapter, as, as we jump right into it um she's holding court and it i think it just immediately starts to me feeling like danny chapters of old except the terms are totally different because now she is most definitely a queen Mm -hmm. she is but she's she's still not without her like actually troubling serious problems here which is i think maybe more akin to early danny chapters too that that she has sort of this uh this threat these goings on uh, a dead man is being brought up the stairs to her uh you know and it's because her rule is is imperfect essentially she has these dissenters she doesn't even know who they are or 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 where they are um and it's threatening to i i think it really undercuts her power here and it might be a situation that Tyrion could give some advice on if he were there but he's still far away at this point, and it's going to be a problem that is going to continue to plague her. And she needs to kind of come up with a solution uh, on her own, because for now, Tyrion isn't with her. And, you know, seeing her put through these trials uh, again reminds us, I think, in this chapter particularly, reminds us of what we loved about uh, Danny to begin with. I think that one of the central themes of this whole chapter is just how do you rule and mm-hmm. figuring out how how Danny's ruling style is going to be. I think that George R. R. Martin shows us how tempting it could be to rule ruthlessly. We see these different uh, ways that Danny can deal with one of her unsullied being killed. And I think especially when she's in the situation Marine that she's in, which is nobody is falling under her rule and things are obviously still out of her control as Eric was, was alluding to she has a lot of tough choices to make about the type of queen that she's going to be and, and whether or not that's going to work here. And I'm so glad that we are doing this reading order and that this chapter fell directly after the Tyrion chapter we just read because there was a really great moment that I felt like was carving room for the eventual future, uh, if it does shake out this way in the book series, I'm not sure, uh, which, uh, between Barristan Selmy and Danny, When Barristan was 
offering up knights and she was thinking about knights and uh, the unsullied aren't fit for this role and knights aren't necessarily fit for this role they were talking about sort of the meanderings and the flow of knowledge and information and sort of the decision making process especially when you're surrounded by all these people in such a strange place how it would be beneficial if if Barristan were someone that could make these kinds of uh, long-armed decisions and it made me think directly of well Tyrion Lannister would be perfect to help you guys fill this role <laughs> yeah yeah, there's a Tyrion-sized vacancy in uh, in her in her um, small council at this and, point. Yeah. And even though she's surrounded by the ex-members of her Kalisar and Barristan Selmy and all of these new kiss asses from the Pyramids of Marine, she still doesn't <laughs> quite have a full team. But it right. feels right. so much more majestic than it has in the past like it now feels like danny is like you know what i mean like she is a queen she's got her people it's a lot different than what we've seen in westeros but it's working for her mm-hmm. it's the tow car if period. you ask me oh yeah it's so regal it's, t- it's totally the t- yeah we just it's talk about how car. that garment is the worst that garment is totally the worst. It's a I garment love... that you have to work you have to, to wear. It. You have to, <laughs> you hold, have to it. hold it. You have to walk perfectly so you don't trip on it. Uh, it definitely is a garment that is for the wealthy. That it's like, let me think about what I can wear instead of you know like walking anywhere. Like this is my one concern: keeping my shirt up. Yeah, there's something like six paragraphs on the introduction of this garment that Danny is wearing. Uh, J. Uh, George R. R. Martin can, which can is write. five too many. Yeah, five. I was no, going to ask if you would read them in a sexy voice, Mike. And maybe, uh, well, <laughs> maybe not. I guess that's all a of no them from him. <laughs> uh, but but it's but it's brilliant. I mean, George R. R. Martin can write about anything. I mean, whether it's uh, whether it's this prolonged battle that took place over the course of decades or centuries, or dragons and mystical elements, or just this terrible garment. And how, you know, who who actually wears this anyway and how terrible it is and how you have to not trip. It's and, a life-saving and, garment, though, at least uh, for Danny, right? Because if that kid didn't trip on it, who knows what would happen? Well, oh, yeah. there's well, that. Save that kid's and, and life. <laughs> yeah, fuck that kid. And save um, that kid's life, <laughs> too, yeah, probably. Yeah, sure. But, but also, like, it saves her because it's what she needs to wear to be accepted by these people that she despises. Mm-hmm. You know, so, Eric Brown, Ben Plum, <laughs> put it a little more succinctly than you. He said, man wants oh. to be the king of the rabbits. He best wear a pair of floppy ears. That was my favorite that, part of this chapter. Those are words to live by. Earlier than that. Danny says she must put on her floppy ears, and you're like, "What are you talking about, Danny?" <laughs> yeah. And then later we get the we get the meaning of the joke. That's I thought that was pretty funny. I love that they're in an 800 foot pyramid, and there's a part in the, our queenly duties in this chapter where she's just like swinging her legs off of the bench, just like very non regally, yeah. yeah, very. Non- and I just thought this is great. This feels good. This is uh, it just this, it's how you wanted it to be when she finally reached that point. And uh, that's true. It, it, could it be any better? I remember not knowing that Barristan Selmy was going to be with Daenerys. And I remember, I remember loving Barristan Selmy in the first season when I, before we even made the podcast, I was just like, this guy's going to be one of my favorite characters ever. Oh yeah. But how cool is it that he is the guy that's with Daenerys out East in this pyramid? That's cool. It's really cool. It's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. It's probably, it's definitely one of my favorite parts of the series and it just, it gets mm-hmm. even better in this book. To everyone who hasn't read A Dance of Dragons, okay, just be patient with this read-through because the show, uh, it just, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Barristan is definitely one for counsel, and, and you guys were, were talking a little bit about this before, how Tyrion could be that 
piece of the puzzle that just fits right in to help her figure out how she navigates the waters of ruling. And none of that was more clear when they were going through, you know, how to go about dealing with this situation for this poor soldier of hers that came back with goat genitals shoved down his throat and is being delivered before her. And, you know, I think that it's just, it's all setting it up for him hopefully making his way to her and, and helping her figure out how to properly rule. I mean, we saw it when he was the hand of the king, how just influential, how tactical he was, how he has a mind for this. And I almost wonder is, is that Varys's plan? Is that Illyrio's plan for Tyrion ultimately to help her figure out how to properly rule not just these cities that she's in right now, but where she ultimately plans to go back to. Yeah, I think that's the I think that's the big point is not just how to be a ruler here, but a ruler of Westeros. I mean, who better knows the ins and outs of King's Landing right now than someone like Tyrion? And what better a place to practice than a place full of liars, <laughs> cut purses, scorned people? And it's very, very far away away from Rustro, so it's a just a practice round. It could make me a little uncomfortable calling it a practice round, but it's well, true. I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> it sucks, but that's just well, what's happening. I know. It's true. It is. It is a practice round in a way because we've seen her go from city to city, and it's clear from those people who are coming before her in Marine and just how she's had to go about approaching the the exterior landscape in terms of what's happening out there that she didn't do a very good job in Astapor. She didn't do a very good job in Yonkai. Yes, she came in and she liberated these cities, but look at what has risen up as a result of that. Look at how the people, for the most part, are viewing her. And I think that every city that she moves on from, she's learning a lesson and that's in part why she made the decision to stay in Marine, uh, at least for the time being. And and I think her chapters are are lessons in leadership, and they're mm-hmm. lessons in how you need to learn from one instance to the next in this world. Because just because you think it's a good idea to go in and free these people, you don't know what's going to come up in place of those that ruled previously. And I think that's a lesson, you know, in history both in fiction and in nonfiction, right and george is just bringing that to light george george uses the word regret uh danny uh in this chapter she was coming to regret leaving the yellow city untaken after defeating its army in the field the wise masters had returned to slaving as soon as she had moved on and were now busy raising levi's uh hiring sellswords and making alliances against her she just sees how it's going to bite her in the ass one day. I think it's important to note that all of these shortcomings with Daenerys, I don't believe were ever meant as a slight on her character through the pen of George R. R. Martin, nor should they be taken as a slight on her character for us that read it. Obviously, you can analyze it in, in a way that you will, but she was raised by Viserys, for crying out loud. I mean, she was obviously helped by the people that were surrounding them, but she hasn't had uh, the best and the grandest teachings. I would argue that that Tyrion is even much more suited to do what she's doing right now. But Tyrion doesn't have the spark 
the fire inside of her that she is, and that's her saving grace in this, that she is the person that united all of these people. We think that it's cool that she's up here with Barristan and Selman, but let's talk about the fact that she's as young as she is, and she's up on top of a pyramid with Barristan and Selman yeah. Yeah. halfway yeah. across the world. Like, she's making it happen. And yeah, she she screwed up Astapor and she took Yunkai out in the field. And inside of their, their city, all of those slaves turned their would-be slavers into their slaves. And yeah, obviously, I mean, we've talked about this in the past and it didn't work out great. And she saw an opportunity in Marine to, like, put her anchor down and start trying to become a different kind of leader. But still, she has to learn. She's young. She's figuring it out. And... If this is what it takes for her to prepare and to grow in the right direction, to move over to Westeros, where the people are very polished in their cunning and very polished in the way that they uh, sort of subvert their existing alliances. And we've seen it. Robert's Rebellion happened after centuries of Targaryen rule. So I think it's good that she's that she's getting her uh, practice in now, if you want to say that. I mean, it's it's unfortunately with the lives of many people and a kingdom mm-hmm. with much longer of a history than where she's trying to head to. Uh, but that's just how it is. I just want to say to your point as well in the chapter before, Illyrio is telling Tyrion that Danny is quite different from Viserys and from other Targaryens. And I think that her style and desire to rule the way that she is uh, continues to support that. Yeah. And, and also to your point, Zach, I, I think it's finding the line between you know, when should you be proactive? When should you be reactive? And how best to anticipate future situations? And Tyrion would be one of the perfect people to slide in there. But just the fact that, you know, she has members of her Kalisar out in the hinterlands, right? Mm-hmm. Brown Ben and the Second Sons are trying to hold off the Yunkai. You have Dario out sort of parlaying with, with the Lazarine and, and yet she still has all these issues that she's dealing with within Marine. You know, she has the sons of the harpy. She doesn't foresee that some of her unsullied could potentially want to visit brothels, you know, because she thinks just because the parts aren't there that their hearts won't yearn for something. Right. Uh, and, and, and it's all those types of things that, you know, some you could potentially anticipate, some you can't. So as a ruler, how do you strike that balance between, you know, knowing when you should be proactive versus when you should be reactive? And I think, again, that's why, you know, it was funny when Hannah kind of mentioned that it's a trial run, but it is a trial run. Like this, this is her, opportunity right now to rule before she gets to Westeros and learn from a lot of the mistakes that she's made. Otherwise, she's going to continue to make these mistakes moving forward. And not only that, but surrounding herself with the right people so that, you know, the right decisions are made and she's getting the best possible counsel. And we have to remember, this is a place when they rode into was decorated, adorned with 163 miles of child's being nailed, children being nailed to mileposts. And obviously she took her, I don't want to say revenge, but she, she punished the, the masters in the way that she saw fit. But this is the place that she's trying to rule. This is the place that she has stayed. And it's fantastic to see how it's just, you know, my, Micah, you were just saying, you know, this is her trial run. She's figuring stuff out. For the locals, this is their everything. This is their new queen who's just walked in and has taken over. So for the people that have begun to shave off their horrendously, or horrendously stylish head 
horns and crazy haircuts. Uh, they're called the shave pates. And the shave pates are these, I guess, born again, I don't like slavery, supporters of the great mother. And uh, this is who she's sort of surrounding herself with, or at least uh, for uh, the moment. I mean, I guess it's not surprising given what the masters did to the children that you'd still have this kind of violence popping up in the streets. Um you know, there, there is a, a sort of a great class system being overthrown here. Uh, and there's a lot of violence in, I guess, innate or inherent in the people of the city. And it, it she's, she hasn't at this point opened the fighting pits. You know, she keeps hearing his dars, please, and, and, and knows them so well that she can recite them excellently. Uh, but is still refusing to essentially diffuse this tension that is growing. Um, she's almost ignoring this tension, but, you know, trying to come at this problem of the dead unsullied in, in a different way at this point. But, but it's not necessarily surprising. Well, this was all a byproduct of sacking a city, right? This sort of innate violence that would have taken place. And she's, yeah. we learn about the motivations. I think obviously we, we understood about the sons of the harpy when we were watching the television show. It made a lot of sense to us, but uh, George mm-hmm. does a, a fantastic job of truly making us understand, I think, why why someone would be a son of the harpy. Other than the the moneyed connections, this mm-hmm. meeting with this boy who, who spoke of the slaves that were uh, jumping at the opportunity to not be slaves anymore, as they should have done, and his household uh, raped his mother. And still live in the house. Yeah, killed and his father, killed his brother. Killed his father, killed his brother. Still live in the house. And he's forgiven. They're, the slaves are forgiven because it was a, a, what does Danny say? It was like a blanket pardon uh, over the city. It was like they had a purge essentially that night mm-hmm. and everything was fine. Uh, obviously, yeah. there's not an infrastructure in this brand new kingdom for her to go through every case by case laying out the queen's justice. So unfortunately this is how it shakes out for her. And this is when the boy runs forward and we, we get it right through that. It's just, that's a terrible circumstance. Why wouldn't he stand against this? Even if fundamentally it wasn't about slavery, it was about the individual thing. And that's what peppers this storyline with her and Marine, because it's so much more than black and white. But unfortunately when the stakes are so high, it has to be boiled down to that. I'm going to name this kid, Ollie. I'm just going to refer to him as Ollie. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'll flat out say that that line at the end of the, the paragraph, the harpy has another son. That was my own for this chapter. Yeah. Uh, and it, to Zach's point, it just, it encapsulates every th- challenge that she's dealing with as, as a ruler of Marine. Well, and she sees it. She sees the fact of that course, she could be yeah. creating these enemies. And, and she just did, uh, you know, for who knows if, if Ollie is going to make an appearance later on in, in <laughs> Dance with Dragons, but with mask she on. has, effectively created uh, another enemy just by not mm-hmm. ruling in his favor. And this is a young person, very impressionable. I'm sure that he can easily find, you know, the allegiance that he needs and, and, you know, the ability, see the other thing too, is now he can go to the sons of the harpy and look to exact the revenge that he wants against these people that have taken over his home and if those individuals now choose to assist him, he's completely gone over and is beyond any help that Daenerys could potentially give him because she's giving him nothing here. Yeah, right. It's this all. All of this is very reminiscent of Civil War Reconstruction in the United States, which I think for people who are interested in American history, uh, draw some cool parallels. 
And what strikes me is, you know, this chapter is bookended by Danny's ruling. Um, she's being, you know, sort of presented with the problem, the ongoing problem of the Sons of the Harpy at the beginning. She's in hearing everyone's trial at the end. In the middle, she has some downtime to visit Viserion, her dragon. And this was, this is kind of uh, just a very interesting, I think it's only four paragraphs out of the entire chapter when she's sort of between places. But she goes and kind of catches up and we kind of see how big he's gotten, uh, whether or not he's been fighting with Drogon, we're not sure. But she feels him, I don't know, it's just, it's always interesting to see a dragon in, in these chapters. And they're not at the point yet where we know from the television show, she realizes that they too are out of control. Like pretty much everything they're you know, almost else. At that point. They're almost at the right. The end of the chapter is a big one. But I think that it's very interesting to just see she approaches Viserion in his sort of leisurely, uh, you know, laying beneath a pear tree. Yeah. I was saying, I think it's important that, that you brought that up, Eric, because I think this moment ties into the end of this chapter when somebody brings forth the bones of a child that's mm. killed by one of these dragons and she regrets not being able to spend more time with them as she is spending time with them and i think that we're really going to start to see the repercussions of that and her dragons are a big reason is why she has power and i think that it should be more important for her now and going forward spending more time with them and focusing on the power that they wield otherwise it's going to put her in these situations where her dragons are killing the her people but what good would it have done if she had spent more time with them i mean there is that line she's like i should have spent more time but where to find the time um you know she could what, train what, them they're dragons to say we've never sacked a city and started a new yeah, kingdom yeah, yeah. <laughs> hasn't she seen the movie how to train your dragon <laughs> how to train your dragon but she's i mean what is she without without her dragons yeah and if she, no, can't, that's con- a if good she point. can't control them Look, then what's to. the point of having them yeah, yeah. she had yeah, but I mean, look, this this chapter is great at showing, hey, you know, ruling. Here's the power. problems. <laughs> yeah, it's it's more than just owning dragons, right? Because by by the rule of the land, she has three dragons more than anyone else on the planet. Um, you know, she should be at the top already, undisputed champ. But you know, obviously, there's more to it than that. There's all this these politics and these uh, adversaries for her. But then you get to her dragons when she's interacting with them and. She also just hasn't been, you know, paying attention or really raising them, and that's going to cause problems for her. So, mm-hmm. but but that's the point. Yeah, and and but I I'm agree not sure with what, what Hannah said. I'm and I agree sure. with mm-hmm. I agree with what you said, and in the connection that you're tying in the moments that she's spending here with Viserion, and then how the end of the chapter comes about, and we know that most likely this was Drogon's doing. It, it's just a demonstration of a larger issue that she is facing right now. And that's her inability to control things. And I'm not saying she would be able to control her dragons, but I think that's part of what George is trying to drive across here is that she's just in this state of flux right now where she needs to figure out how she's going to effectively rule because there's so many different things that she's dealing with some are beyond her control and some are within her control, but I, it, it just paints a picture of her just being, she, she needs counsel. She needs, she needs people who can help her figure this all out because there's so many things that are happening that it, whether it's the dragons or, or political, 
she she needs some foundation to be created that she can kind of work off of here. Right. And these are the problems in A Feast for Dragons <laughs> and our journey with Daenerys. And the problems of Marine that we will these deal are with the for a while. Daenerys Stormborn. And it just gets even more complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't call it a knot for nothing. But it's good, though, because she if she's going to be the one who was promised, or if she's even one of the ones who was promised, or if she doesn't make it to the sixth book either way she should earn her stripes you know like she's made it this far all right Daenerys let's master yourself and everything in your uh, immediate vicinity and uh, create a legend for yourself because that's what's happening right now Uh, the legends that will be sung in song much later are taking place right now she's just up on a terrace with her dragons as someone brings the bones that were created by a winged shadow these are song lyrics being spoken right out loud right in our current chapters. Well, I think then this is a good place for us to give our owns first to the Tyrion chapter, and then we'll come back to Danny because as is always the case, there, there are plenty of options here. Well, I I know we talked about how comfortable and the place of comfort that Illyria is coming from uh, this entire chapter. What I thought was particularly own worthy in the Tyrion chapter is Illyrio and for how he shrugged off Tyrion's suggestion of, River pirates? Mm-hmm. Tyrion says, there are pirates on the Roin as well. Like, hey, man, we should watch out for those. And uh, the book says, river pirates? The cheesemonger gave a yawn, covering his <laughs> mouth with the back of his hand. Cockroach captain scurrying after crumbs. <laughs> <laughs> You're an unarmed fat man who can't run very fast, I'm guessing. Maybe um, it's just a suit. And, yeah, maybe it's just the suit. Maybe, maybe beneath the suit. <laughs> Is like a Diet Pepsi twist and then a, 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 a suit of armor, maybe as well. But um, he's not afraid of no pirates, and uh, that Illyrio is my own. I actually uh, have my own to the same exchange. And really? It's, it's not for your same reasons, but it is uh, for the beginnings of uh, the mention of pirates. And, oh, uh, okay. Right. Pirates out east, guys. I'm grinning so big right now. Are we talking about like Salador San type, you know, kind of Keep reading, good with man. a joke? Keep reading. Quick with a joke or to light up your smoke, but there's some place that they'd rather be. Maybe not. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. That's what I think of when I think of pirates. Also, there are more guidelines and rules. Mm-hmm. I'm trying not to sing the Pirates of the Caribbean Smith, song. Uh, Smith, Smithy. <laughs> Welcome to Port Royal, Mr. Smith. <laughs> Time to rewatch all of those movies. Thanks, can we do a Can we do a squad by some fire while we, we watch Pirates of the Caribbean? Yes. <laughs> Probably. I'm going to give my own to Illyrio as well, sort of, from when he's asleep and Tyrion wants to get the wine out of him and it says, Tyrion crept across the pillow to work the wine jar loose from it from its fleshy prison <laughs> that was pretty funny <laughs> i'll also give it to illyrio for his subtle mention of the griffs and for the line griff is different he has a son he dotes on young griff the boy is called <laughs> there never was a nobler lad yeah. and uh, i already gave my uh danny own during the uh, chapter discussion. Indeed. The, the Tokar, right? You're Wasn't off the it? hook. The, the boy. It, yeah, it was the uh, the line that she had about how she had created another son of the harpy. Oh, gosh. It's good. Um, mm-hmm. It's a good own. Can I give a just an honorable mention, own to Tyrion's prophetic line about riding a snail and making the better pace than his litter? Sure. just want to say that. Riding a snail. Yeah. Good foreshadowing. Our own. That's the thing that we do. Um. 
I'm trying not to give the own to the Tokar, although we've stated good reasons for why it does and does not own uh, the Danny chapter. Um, but I think I'm going to give my own to Danny uh, for essentially calling her dragon lazy. <laughs> He's just lazing beneath the pear tree, and she is, I don't know, accusing him of not being active enough, I guess. But he could get a pear for you at the swing of a tail. Oh, yeah. At the swing of a tail, which is pretty cool. So that that whole scene really owned... Um, but owned to her and uh, her interaction. It's tough. Part of me wants to give it to Cleon the Great, who has risen. He's the butcher who has risen to be the leader of Astapor that Danny freed. Uh-huh. So that's interesting. Uh-huh. He has the mm-hmm. uh, wherewithal to send her gilded leather slippers, even though she, he is the leader of the place that she freed. Think about that for a second. Shout out to Let's him. be honest. They were his daughter's slippers, right? <laughs> so Cleon the Great... Also, uh, for his dar, for continually trying with the fighting pits as usual and for flirting with Daenerys a little bit, uh, that's pretty nice. Uh, but I'm going to have to throw all these doters to the side for who I feel like is the doterist of the doters in mm. Daenerys's presence. I'm giving it to Resnek Mo Resnek, who is a kiss ass and who loves to decorate her with fond words of praise, as in. Your worship, you are so radiant today. I fear to look on you. Resnick, <laughs> Mo Resnick. <laughs> That's and pretty gentlemen. funny. <laughs> He's not going to stop. <laughs> he just gets worse. And Danny doesn't Your love Your splendor. It. I just, the, all the, anyway. Keep going, please. No, I just, he just thinks <laughs> of the craziest words. Yeah. Your radiant, your magnificence. And when uh, Danny's thinking about getting the, from that other guy who's telling him to, kill all the members of the enemy families and mm-hmm. more of her guys are killed and Resnick's like no be gentle you could never do that yeah. your worship mm-hmm. that's pretty funny <laughs> um, I'm gonna give my own to Danny for when she hears the ar- argument about the pits being reopened for the thousandth time she recites it perfectly back to, back to him she's like I already know what you're gonna say I've heard it a million times here's exactly what you're gonna say and he's like you said it better than I could have <laughs> yeah he, say, he says I'm convinced yeah <laughs> sold <laughs> sold done nice. so that's my own that's it that's right there's a lot Those of characters introduced uh, really uh, alluded to or, or just plainly introduced in these two chapters so it feels good I know that we're we're heading like with lots of crescendo towards season six but it's it's good to get some of these things planted because we'll be coming back to this of course after the the heyday from the season dies down so thank you for sending in your owns we're about to read them they were delicious and uh you only have a few more weeks to send in owns for other stuff and then for season six well uh you know let's start off with uh with an email here uh as far as listener owns we got an email from jacob stockton uh who gave us his owns for Tyrion and danny Tyrion, owned to Varys, a truly a prince among thieves and capable of forming friendships and schemes capable of passing the tests of time and distance. I like that a lot. And then the Danny own, owned to the six weaver freed women. They sound like entrepreneurs and are among the few former slaves who might thrive in the new order, as in not hired back by the former masters for a pittance or cast out into the streets. Mm-hmm. Right. Those, those weaver freed women. They have a new loom, thanks to Danny. Um, so good for her and good for them. Hope the string doesn't break. Yeah, I hope this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and thanks to uh, Jacob Stockton for sending that in uh, via email to us. Over on uh, Twitter, we heard from Mariah Lovegood, who says, 
for Tyrion, her own goes to Tyrion's dream of riding a dragon in the hopes that it was prophetic. Uh, Danny mm. gets an own for the secret of ruling iron cheeks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she needs cushions. Uh, and then on Twitter, we get two parts of Rye who says, own to Illyrio's Thanksgiving road trip. That was so good. Tyrion had oh to unbutton his pants. The only thing missing was football. <laughs> I want to go on a Thanksgiving so road trip. I do, too. <laughs> Simon Amundsen writes, to Illyrio's backstory, true or not, exposition on the spider and sea cow is much enjoyed. And to the Valyrian roads, hashtag better than asphalt. Oh, yeah. Amen. You see? They have great infrastructure. That's all I'm saying. They have really great job. infrastructure. Damn I wonder what else they did. Yeah, 2K16. That, that, that stood the test of time. Uh, <laughs> Brienne of Tarth writes in, uh, tweets in, Tyrion Own goes to Illyrio for the best WTF moment. Quote, I keep her hands in my bed chamber. Yes. <laughs> and he doesn't yeah, mean her like assistance wine? either. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't mean her assistance either. Um, and then Brienne uh, says, Danny Own goes to everyone in Marine for not killing themselves tripping over a tow car. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's just to the highborn. Um but uh, but yeah, that that garment sounds like something I would never. It's wear. Dangerous. Mm-hmm. A heathen tweets in about time. Owned to Illyrio, curiously persuaded Blackfire founded Golden Company to swear allegiance to a Targaryen. I say no more. Thanks, heathen. And for Danny, owned to that red door, wherever it may have been, must have been one fucking red door. <laughs> <laughs> it was. <laughs> All right. I'm She's dreaming about a red <laughs> door. bringing that up. That's so funny. Susan Stacy writes in, Tyrion, Illyrio owns the title Prince of Tour Guides for his tales along the way and his gourmet refreshments. Damn straight. <laughs> <He does. laughs> they were gourmet. And for Danny, Stalwart Shield, who was the name of the Unsullied who died in the brothel. We didn't mention that. Owns our hearts by his desire for touch and human connection. That is. That was really sweet. That is the saddest and sweetest part of that story, I think. Yeah. Next, we have Blind Beth, who says, Own for Tyrion chapter goes to the Valyrians. They might have been slaving colonialists, but road infrastructure was on point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, Beth. Thanks, and Beth. then <laughs> Danny chapter owned to Gascari Wine. Missed opportunity for some SOC two buck chuck. Danny needs <laughs> a master of marketing. <laughs> That's funny. That's so true, Beth. They could really turn around their local industry because I know that their wine is generally not looked fondly upon, but you're right. There's money there for two buck chuck. And uh, finally on Twitter, Julie Harris Green writes in, Tyrion's almost sorry not to see the look on Tywin's face when Danny finally heads west. Almost. Hashtag say it again, Tywin. That's true. And uh, Danny owns Grazdan. He'll never forget the name Elsa again. The looms. Over on Facebook, Jacqueline G wrote in, says, My own for the Tyrion chapter goes to the long-standing business relationship between the spider and the cheesemonger. <laughs> Half the size of Casterly Rock. Besides Lord Littlefinger, they are certainly the ones that have stirred up things in Westeros and Essos. It seems to me that during all the years, they have worked along the same arrangement as Illyrio says. Various, various spied on lesser thieves. Baratheon usurpers, Lannister's false heirs to the throne, and took their takings. I offered my help to their victims, Targaryens in exile, to recover their valuables for a fee. Ooh. Oh my god. Okay, that's cool. I like that. Jack- Jacqueline took it a step further than, we than our discussion. <laughs> yeah, she really kind of went right to the details, so I like that. It does fit the structure super well. Emily the Bryce. The infrastructure. Yes. 
<laughs> Tyrion Owen goes to his inner thoughts. He is full of zingers and biting realizations. One of my favorites. Our Lord of Cheese is the size of an elephant, but he has the bladder like a peanut. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to- it's funny because don't elephants like peanuts? They love them. Danny Owen goes to Drogon. <laughs> Poor little children and sheep. <laughs> he still gets, gets the own, though, uh-huh. Emily. <laughs> Reese Polizolo says, Danny owns his daughter Zolorak by stating that she had heard his case so often that she could plead it for him, which she then goes on to do. Hashtag mic drop. Mm-hmm. Agree, agree, agree. And then owned for the Tyrion chapter goes to Varys and his little mice, as they were called back then. Guess he hadn't upgraded to his <laughs> birds yet. <laughs> <laughs> Once you hit a certain experience point, you evolve into the birds. To winged creatures. Yep. Yeah, that's how it works. Uh, Alma Bring writes on Facebook, the Tyrion chapter is owned by the past, from the origin of the Andals over the history of the Golden Company to the personal pasts of Tyrion and Illyrio. Great chapter. I like that a lot. That's a great own. And own for the Danny chapter goes to the heart of an unsullied. The blood of the dragon may not weep, but I always get a lump in my throat when reading about stalwart shield who just wanted someone to hold him. And oh, look how that worked out. Jacqueline also sent her own for Daenerys, uh, who says it goes to the fact that a dragon is not a pet. The truth is brought home to Danny painfully by the poor Miranese father, I wonder if she is dragon queen enough to handle her children. Hmm. She's teasing us in her own. <laughs> yep. And finally, Cameron Ross wrapping up our owns. My own goes to the earth for allowing our heroes to walk upon it. Wind for allowing Drogon to dance on it with his wings and fire for helping provide a nice meal of sheep and children. Hashtag earth, wind and fire. Hashtag forgot to read. Hashtag <laughs> rice crispy kids. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jesus. Wow. Terrible Snap, hashtag. crackle, pop. Cameron. Rice crispies. Oh man. For well, not reading you. though, Cameron. Good own. <laughs> yeah. Was, you're pretty uh, accurate with your, with your owns there. As for the rest of you, thank you for writing in. Um, we have a few more weeks until season six begins, and these chapters are awesome. The story is great. I'm so excited to move like forward. And if you want to be like Cameron and their Rice Krispie kids uh, and send us in your owns, uh, you can do so in a number of ways. You can take Cameron's approach and scroll upon our Facebook wall at facebook.com slash Game of Owns. You can tweet at us at Game of Owns on Twitter. Or send us an email, contact at gameofowns.com. Next week, we hit up Cersei, number two, Jamie, chapter one, from uh, both from uh, Feast for Crows. Uh, in that order, Cersei first, then Jamie. Uh, so be sure to read, prepare, send us your owns. We will be giving our owns. But that is next in line over at feastwithdragons.com. Brother and sister? Brother and sister. <laughs> Boyfriend and girlfriend? Things are going to get personal. Hmm. If you simply can't wait until next week for a new episode, we make another podcast for patrons of our Patreon feed. We call those people Bannermen. Are you a Bannerman? Are you sitting in your car alone at home shouting, raising your hand saying, I'm one of those people. <laughs> yes, I'm a Bannerman. <laughs> then good. We're speaking to you right now, John or Cindy. And if you are a Bannerman, then you already have listened to our other podcast, A Squad of Ice and Fire, uh, which is our favorite podcast to make besides from this one if you're not then head over there and and check it out we uh what did we talk about this week we talked about the white house this week very powerful and uh 
It's a good time. So Hannah was there. Hannah got there. to hang out there. Just thanks to Micah. I figure at some point we touch on the fact that Micah and Hannah are way cooler than us at patreon.com slash Q. And we thank you for your support of the show. Mm-hmm. One other way that uh, you can interact with the show is by uh, leaving your review over on iTunes. It is now the month of April. Nothing less than five stars is still acceptable in this month. And should you not went on iTunes, rate and review this podcast with five stars, season six will be delayed. What? And so oh. I think that that is just <laughs> enough of Whoa. a reason for you to uh, leave your feedback, though. Speaking of season six, and I know we mentioned this a lot when we talk about iTunes, but this is the time of year where a lot of other fans are going to be looking for something to kind of get them back in the mood, right? They're, some are just they're they're not as you know into it right as, I always as, use podcasts to get me in the mood Micah mm-hmm. yeah, no see? matter what occasion only, only podcasts with Micah on them though. <laughs> <laughs> nothing else works so uh, iTunes is a great way for other listeners and potential listeners to find out uh, that we exist and uh, you know go ahead and, and read this great review here from ATC07 you have to read that in a robot voice. It's definitely a robot. Eight <laughs> No, I'm giving them. The, look, they gave us a five star. Okay. I'm, sorry. You, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Oh, but it's a not. Just, yeah, exactly. Thank you, Hannah. It's a five star reading. Whether you're a fan of the show or a fan of the Song of Ice and Fire books, this podcast is for you. Very charismatic and entertaining. This is the best way to pass your time with everything related to Game of Thrones. Love the chapter analysis of the books. I never realized how much detail I missed the first time reading the series. Always enjoy the perspective of the cast. This podcast can be enjoyable from the most hardcore fan to the most casual. There's never a dull moment. My only regret is not finding Game of Owns sooner. The best part by far are the owns of the week. Can't make it through without cracking up every single time. Great work and keep it up. Hodor. Hodor. (laughs) Thank you for the the very very kind review. So uh there you have it. Be much <laughs> like ATC07 when you uh, review our show. That was your robot voice. If you've already reviewed the show on iTunes, I, I I know just through word of mouth if you really enjoy the podcast and maybe you want someone to share uh imaginary friends with, you could just tell your friends who like and or podcast or uh, this TV show and or podcasts or maybe they just read the books. Either way, like we kind of gotten into all of it now. We feel like we've grown with the times of the series, and now that we're a sullied podcast and uh, season six is about to blow all of our collective minds out of the water, just tell them to go to GameOfOwns dot com because all of our episodes are collected into albums. You can go through a book specifically if you want a season specifically if you want you can listen to special guests there are pictures of eric if you look close enough so it's just a good place to be (laughs) (laughs) wait what yeah the more the merrier pictures of eric the more pictures of eric the merrier bye everybody we're gonna we're ending the show now yep goodbye everyone get ready for some brother and sisterly love (laughs) yeah 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 yeah